Hello, everybody. We must get started. I was waiting for the room to fill, but we're going to start. Uh, my name is Cheryl, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your convention chair. Yeah. Have you had a great time? Good. Did you enjoy the hotel? Did you enjoy the meeting? Did you enjoy the meal? All right. Good. You leave the best for last. No. Um, okay. Let me see. Before we begin, I need to remind you to turn off your cell phone to vibrate. Thank you. And with those of you who wish to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference from him. Okay, let's see. Uh, Maureen, would you like to read? Our reading today is from the big book. It's a spiritual experience. Would you like to come up and read that? So we get in the spiritual mode. Hi, my name is Maureen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Maureen. A spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the inspiration that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. 
Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. The principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Okay. I have some a really special announcement for you. We have t-shirts left over from this convention. They're I think one X what? One, two, and three. There, you could use them for night shirts, if there, and if you want to see what they would look like. <laughs> and what is your name? Katie. Katie is. Oh. What size? Is um, three X. See how comfortable it looks. It? Yes, and we are selling them. At five dollars a piece, are three for ten. So that is a bargain. You should have been up here doing this. <laughs> okay, and they will be at. They're at the registration desk, right? Yep. That's where they're at. So if you're interested in doing that, I don't want you know to run out of here and trip anybody in your running to get them. But you can go there, and they'll be for sale, and you can pick yours up. I'm going to get mine. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Okay. And with that, I would like to, you know, first I'm going to introduce my committee. And and I just want to let you know that everyone on the committee worked really hard. Are you happy with what they did? I had an awesome group of people that did all the work, and uh, I would like to introduce them. And then, um, and the first person who worked very hard is Maria, our secretary. And Annette L was our treasurer, but I'm sure she's busy still counting money, so she's not here. So we can give her a hand in. And our hotel liaison, Ali. And entertainment, Jill. Event security, Stan. Uh, fundraising, Gretchen. 
Okay, new to you, Marilyn B and D W. I don't see them here. Hospitality, Maureen M and Robin D. Literature, Evelyn, and I think she's still out selling literature. Okay. Program, Violet P. Public Information, Vicki F. She's out publicly, publicly informing people. No. Registration, Ida. Ida S. Signs, Robert L. Decorations, Marion L. Uh, volunteers, Bernice A. Newcomers, Tara R. And you know, I forgot when I was introducing the committee. Anyone who worked on any of those committees, would you please stand? Oh, and I, I forgot too. Uh, Jane, would you please stand? She was also on the fundraising committee. And did I forget something? Oh, sure, I want them. Yeah, let me see. How do I look? No, uh, see, it's, it's almost over, so I'm able to relax. Anyway, someone left these at the registration desk. If they belong to anyone here, please go to the registration desk and let us know. Okay? Well, am I bid 10? How about 15? 20? No, okay. All right. Okay, let's get on with this. Okay. Now, if you had a great time this weekend, you can look forward to next year, 2010. And I would like to introduce 2010 chair so she can give you a bit of information about what's going to happen there. And her name is Laverne Griffin. Laverne? Hello, my name is Laverna, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Wasn't this just a wonderful convention? Yeah. And all of those exotic gifts in the boutique? Oh, that was wonderful. I so enjoyed it. Did you all have as much fun as I did? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm the chair for the 2010 convention that we're going to have next year in San Mateo which is uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, is down the road from the San Francisco Airport between San Jose and San Francisco at Highway 101 and 92. And we hope to have just as much fun there. Some of the things we're going to do, we're going to have workshops, marathon meetings, great fellowship, keynote speakers with decades of, of recovery, special focus meetings, silent auctions, boutique, dancing, 50-50 drawing, special drawing, and we're going to have OA's Got Talent, open mic. So if you've got open mic talent, you want to be sure to be there, your time to shine. And, of course, we're going to have more. 
Uh, the convention dates is June the 4th through June the 6th, 2010, at the Marriott Hotel San Mateo, San Francisco Airport. And the registration and hotel information will be available at the Region 2 website. Uh, I think the flyer may be up now. The uh, registration form should be up in a week or two. So we hope to give you a weekend filled with recovery, fellowship, and entertainment. Uh, we've placed these flyers on everyone's chair. You're welcome to take these back and photocopy. There's extras on the table in the back if you would like to take some to your intergroup or your home meeting. And for the chairs that are empty, if you want to take some of those when you leave, we don't want to leave any of them in the room. That's perfectly okay. And I would like to introduce to you my PI chair that came down with me, Lynn. So did I leave anything else? No, I think you're good, Laverna. Okay. Okay, we're gonna sing a little song for you to get you into the mood. Okay. Okay. You want to, one, two, three? Okay. And a one, and a two, and a three, and a four. Recovery has the light. I'm gonna let it shine. Recovery has the light. I'm gonna let it shine. Recovery has the light.
Okay. Do you, do you hear that? Okay. So whoever whoever bid knows who they are. Okay? Okay. Let's see. Now, I have one more thing, and I'd like to invite Drea up here. Wait a minute. Do I want to do that now? No. No. Drea, you can wait a minute. Okay. Sorry. You've been preempted by our awesome speaker. Okay, and I'd like to now introduce our speaker, who we spared no expense to bring here from Riverside, I believe. Okay, and the speaker is Jean from the 909 area code. So that's not really at my first meeting when I came 30 years ago, uh, next month. So, And she taught me a lot. She took me out to coffee afterwards and told me, this is what you do, and this is what you do, and this is what you do. So look where, look where we are now. Okay. Um, my name is Jean, and I'm a compulsive eater, and I do not live in Riverside, heaven forbid. I live in Highland which is a suburb on the other side of uh, San Bernardino. Anyway, um, I did come into the program 30 years ago, next month. I remember coming in wearing this big old brown ugly thing, sitting in the back row, sitting quiet, and uh, hoping nobody would notice I was there. And uh, that was the beginning. But I have not had 30 years of abstinence. My buddies in my area are daring to have a birthday party for me in July. I, not my idea. They said they were going to do this. So they're going to have a 30th birthday party for me. But it's not legitimate because I have not been abstinent for 30 years. I'm a slow learner. Not only that, you know, they say that you can't be too dumb to get this program, but you can be too smart. Well, I'm a smart ass. And I thought, you know, you just rip it out like that. I remember during my first uh, 90 days standing up in front of a large meeting and saying, you folks don't do it right. Um, you, you should not be asking the poor newcomers to ask for sponsors. The sponsor should go up and tap the shoulder and take the newcomer. See, what did I know? And then another time I stood up during those days and I wrote on the board, which was in the front of the room, we were in a church classroom, and I said, just do it. Because, I mean, after all, I was doing it. I was in my first 90 days and I had been struck by abstinence and I was doing it. Why didn't everybody else just do it until I lost it? <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, in those days they handed out an orange I got my orange sheet and I found a sponsor and I called her every day and I had three by I had a stack of three by five cards. And I would write what I was gonna have for breakfast, draw a line, write what I was gonna have for lunch, draw a line, and write what I was gonna have for dinner. And that was somehow a big relief because we could shop for that, I could plan for that. What I had been having 
I mean, I would determine every day. I would say my prayers and I'd say, God, strike me thin. And I would say, um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to overeat today. I will, oh, I'm only going to eat 500 calories and all of that kind of baloney. And by 8.30 or 9 o'clock, I'd already eaten thousands. You know, I mean, it was just no darn good. So, um, but, and the worst time of day was when I came home from work late in the afternoon, exhausted, and had to prepare the meal for the family. Well, I started at one end of the pantry and went down and then over and went up and, and uh, stuff out of the refrigerator and before I'd even served anything. And then, of course, when the meal was over, whatever was left on my plate, your plate, uh, in the middle of the table, because I was saving the poor Chinese children who were starving and, uh, you know, I had been raised in the clean your plate generation and... Uh, so, I mean, I was being a good girl. That's what good girls did was clean their plates. And when I was little, being chubby was healthy and all that baloney. Anyway, so, uh, but having a food plan, like, this is what I'm going to eat for breakfast, this is what I'm going to eat for lunch. When I got home in the afternoon, I just went to my card and I saw what we were going to have for supper and that's what we had and that's what I ate. And <clears throat> when we went shopping, we... We planned this way, and it was wonderful. And this worked because in those days with the orange sheet and everything, those are the days when they talked about it takes 21 days to get uh, free of sugar. And so I was told to follow this plan exactly for 21 days, which I did. And then I went to my sponsor, and I said, and what do I do now? And she said, you do it again. <laughs> so uh, uh, I did another 21 days, and I said, and what do I do now? She said, you do it again. And so after nine weeks, see, when I came in this time, I had uh, already been on diets and dexatrim and all of that. I was not at my top weight. So after nine weeks of this starvation stuff, um, I was about 10, 15 pounds thinner than I am now. And she said, oh, now you go on maintenance. And I said, and what is maintenance? She said, oh, you just add a little bit in. That was the beginning of the end. I mean, I had no idea what adding a little bit meant. When I came in, I did not know what enough meant. I mean, I did not know what balance meant. I did not know what moderate meant. And I did not know what maintenance meant. Those were all, I mean, those were words that I had some concept of what they meant, but I really didn't understand what the living part of those were. So when she said go on maintenance, that was the license to start eating again, right? I mean, in the old days when I went was dieting, when the diet was over, you rinsed your brains out. I mean, I had been a yo-yoer all my life. That was that was what I did. And the way I lost weight was powered by vanity, and I would have a reason for losing weight. I wanted to get that guy. I wanted to go that prom. I wanted to fit into that dress or something. And, and that would force me to stay on a diet for so many days or until so many pounds. But the older I got, the harder it got to work. I noticed that the weight came off a lot slower and it came back on a lot quicker. And uh, diets began to make me sick. And so finally, by the time... I got here. I couldn't diet anymore. 
and I have never dieted since I came into OA. Dieting was impossible for me. I had become utterly convinced that it was impossible. Uh, what I heard during those first early days was keep coming back. And that much I have done for 30 years. I never left because I knew I needed OA, I needed the program, I needed you people, I needed my higher power, and I kept coming back. I never quit. The other thing I heard during those, that first that first meeting, somebody said, you start every day on your knees. And that, too, I have done for 30 years. And that has made a tremendous difference. So those things have gone on and on. But then I began to hear some other things, which it took me a while. To, they were a little harder than that. And I, it took me a while to absorb them, like... God is in the results department. Gene is in the effort department. I don't like that one. I wanted to decide how things were going to turn out. I wanted God to be my co-pilot and, uh, or my servant or whatever and get him to do what he was supposed to do. And I would tell him and give the parameters. It didn't work that way. I had to, that one took me a long time to understand that um, that's the way it is. And, oh, there were lots of other things that came up that, that hit me that I didn't like either and that took a long time to absorb. Anyway, uh, the, uh, well, part of that initial diet was giving up sugar. And I thought, I cannot give up hot fudge sundaes for the rest of my life. There is no way in, my, in the world. But uh, I would try. So I would give up sugar and take it back. Give up sugar and take it back. And this went on for four years. Uh, I would have periods of days, weeks, sometimes months without refined sugar. But I just couldn't keep it up because... After all, I deserved it. I earned it. Um, it wouldn't hurt this time. It was okay because Mrs. McGillicuddy made that for me. Um, I, I mean, my head told me a million reasons why it was okay to have sugar this time. And every bite of sugar led to a binge. And that went on for four years until I got sick of it. And I realized... It, it really came home to me when I would have these periods of absence so my mind would get a lot clearer and I could think better and I could organize better and life was better and then I would go back to the sugar and all of a sudden I'm spinning like a top can't wait to my next fix and I could not make decisions I could not get organized I could not stay organized and I, I realized I was a sugar addict so I heard another slogan, which I know none of you have ever heard before, one day at a time. So, I, uh, while I was on my knees, I said to God, please help me not to eat sugar today. That's all I could see. And I knew there was no sugar in the house, none in my purse, none in my pockets, and I could probably make it through one day. So, I... Um, 
I lived that full day without any sugar. And I said, thank you, God, at night. The next morning I got up and I said, please, God, don't let me eat any sugar today. And I got through that day. Well, those days led to weeks, led to months, and that was 26 years ago, and I haven't had any recreational sugar since then. But I was still messing around with my food, on and off. A few years later, I learned that that just about as vicious as sugar was, was, was rarer in my life, but just as insidious um, was salted nuts. And I, that had turned out to be one of my trigger foods, and I had to give that up, and I haven't had any of those since. But anyway, this went on. I, my pattern had been binging. Growing up and in my young adulthood, I had two choices. I either dieted or I overate. There was nothing else. I knew nothing else. I had no idea, as I said, what moderate meals are, maintenance, eating for nourishment, eating for health, all that stuff just somehow escapes me. You eat for enjoyment. Every meal is to be a party. I have to be satisfied. I have to want to eat it. I have to like it. And all that kind of stuff. And uh, if that's good, then that's never enough. You know, it was more, 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 more. And it was it was just awful. So anyway, I, uh, I, I went on for years in OA. One time during the time I was in OA, from September to January, I gained 55 pounds. And I had more abstinent days than I had binging days. But you think about that. If you're abstinent, you may be reducing your normal calorie, what is normal for you, calorie intake by two or three or 400 pounds, uh, uh, calories. But when you're binging, you're adding on the thousands. So, I mean... Even though I would have a whole week of abstinence and then two days of binging, the net result was gained, and it just it just went on. Oh, I remember after um, by by that January, I was just so sick of myself. I was just so ugly, and I had been looking around and I wanted a pink suit. I had a professional job. Oh God, I got on pink. Okay, I I wanted a pink suit. I thought that would be wonderful. I would look wonderful. But I thought I'd look like a beach whale in a pink suit at this price, at uh, this weight. So I said, when I lose weight, I was always giving myself these little incentives, you know, when I lose weight, I'll get a pink suit. And then one day when I was on the, on my knees, it occurred to me that I could go to the big size department, get myself a pink suit now if I accepted myself. And I accepted myself as I was big. And I love that pink suit. I wore that pink suit forever. Even when I lost weight later and the jacket was huge, I used to wear that jacket all the time. Anyway, um, but the, 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 just as I had yo-yoed before, I was now abstinent, binging, back and forth. This went on for years. Um, I would still call in my food. I would still try. Oh, incidentally, yesterday I was in the boutique and I was buying the jacket I wore to the dinner last night. I was in the new shoe room. 
And this lady came up, and because there was pink in that jacket, she gave me this bracelet. And in it, and it says honesty on it. And we all know that, that if you're not honest, that, the one requirement for really, really working this program is the capacity to be rigorously honest. So I guess I can't tell you any lies. I got to try at least to be honest. So um, anyway, I kept struggling with this food business and kept going to meetings, tried to do all of the tools, tried to do everything. As I said, I prayed on my knees every morning and all of this. But finally, one morning, I was at home and I had planned my lunch, told, committed what I was going to eat. Many of you have heard this story before, but anyway. And I, as part of the lunch, the main part of this lunch was a hot dog. One hot dog. So I went over to the meat drawer to get out the hot dog so I could have my one cooked hot dog. And my damn husband had bought these little tiny hot dogs. And it was only this big. And that is not what I had in mind when I said I'm going to eat one hot dog. So I'm sitting there. Shall I have one hot dog? and feel deprived and angry, I'm going to wind up with a binge. Maybe not today, but in a few days. Or will I dig out two hot dogs and eat both of them, and then I will have broken my abstinence, I'm a liar, and I'm on the way to hell already. So there was nothing I could do. It was either one or the other. I was all in the big black or white mode. I forgot about anything else. And struggle, struggle, struggle. And I figured there's no way out because I'm in the committee in my head. And finally, I just screamed. If I didn't say it out loud, I did essentially scream, God, help me. You've helped me. Thy will, not my, be done. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, Gene, you can eat one and a half hot dogs. That is what you meant, that quantity of hot dog, is what you meant when you committed to one hot dog, one regular hot dog. And all of a sudden, peace came over me, and I said, okay, I'll have one and a half. I did not feel deprived. I did not feel like I had broken my abstinence. I was not headed down the slippery slope. And since that day, that was over, that was in May, more than 17 years ago, the food obsession has been lifted 99 and 44% of the time. I, I lost my cravings. I lost my obsession. I've been absent since that day. Anytime I come to a food decision where I'm unsure, I just say, not my will, but thine. And it's very apparent what I should do. This morning, I, I, have, I went to a nutritionist a few years ago, and he told me to have carrot juice every morning. So when I was home this morning getting ready to come here, I thought, shall I have some carrot juice? Well, I knew I was going to have breakfast after I got here. So I didn't know whether I should have carrot juice or not carrot juice. So I said, thy will not mine be done. And I had a little bit of carrot juice. Not my usual big glass of carrot juice. I had a little bit of carrot juice, which meant I got my vitamin C. I did whatever. I got my antioxidants or whatever I'm supposed to be getting out of the carrot juice. And I didn't feel like it violated, and I didn't know what I was going to have for breakfast when I got here, but I knew it would be okay. So 
it's what I'm still doing is whenever I come to a food decision, I just say, not mine, will, but thine be done. And it's, it's such a blessing. Never in my life was I free of the food obsession before. And it is so glad. I'm so glad. One of the what drove me to coming to OA was I realized, well, first of all, my husband was an alcoholic. And he was the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. You know, when he was sober, he was wonderful. When he was drunk, he was horrible. And this went on and on for years. And I don't know how many promises he made, how many times he was remorseful. He always went back to drinking. And finally, he got arrested. And uh, I set, finally set some ultimatums and everything. Anyway, we wound up in counseling. And after the counselor had seen the two of us together and done an evaluation, he told my husband he had to go to AA, that he would never uh, let him come back to counseling again unless he was in AA because he was a liar. My husband eventually used to say, how can you tell an alcoholic is lying? His lips are moving. So, um, uh, uh, so, he, uh, so he started going to Alcoholics Anonymous, but he would not let me go. I could not go to their potlucks. I could not go to their house. I could not. I could not get to know his friends. I could not have anything to do with alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, because that was his thing. It was not my thing. I had tried to learn to get drunk. I had tried very hard. All it did was make me sick. I mean, I liked grape juice a whole lot better than I liked wine and, and all that. So, um, so. He, he wanted me out of his life. I was the dominating, controlling type. I know you were very surprised about that. But uh, anyway, um, so he, he kept me away from alcoholism. Until one weekend, by accident, I found my way to attending an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting with him because his friends forced him to it. And I, I just, I loved the speaker. I loved what he said. I loved the 12 steps. I thought I understood them. Baloney. I mean, to me, the 12 steps are not words, they're not concepts, they're a living program. You have to work them to understand them. But in any case, they sounded good to me, but I looked at my life and I said, what is your problem? My problem is food, because I knew that food stood between me and God, that I would make promises to God and break them. That, that food was my idol. It meant more to me. I, I would I would steal for food. I would eat my kids' food. I would I would spend money we couldn't afford on food. I would do all kinds of bad things because food was way too important. It always was way too important in my life. And uh, it is so wonderful to be free of that obsession. No longer is food the most important thing in my life. I am willing to have the same damn breakfast seven days a week if necessary. And a very simple breakfast is okay. I don't have to go to a party every meal. And I don't have to be entranced with everything that goes on. I enjoy eating, but it no longer is the center of my world. And uh, I know what suits my body, what is nutritionally sound for me. I learned all those years that I was abstaining and binging and going back and forth. I learned a lot about what is good for gene, what is satisfying, what is healthy, and all of that. I didn't pay attention. I mean, I didn't follow through on a lot of it, but I learned enough that that once 
I got abstinent, I now have a lot of built-in guidelines that I don't want to cross, bump against. It may happen, and I know that it's every day by the grace of God that uh, I'm able to be abstinent, and I am so, so grateful. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this weekend. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but it's, they've been, you've been asked a dozen times, did you like it and all that, so I know you do. But didn't you think it was wonderful to... Uh, did, how many of you went to the marathons? How many of you went to workshops? How many of you heard the main speakers? Weren't they all wonderful? I mean, it, isn't, haven't you felt just surrounded by people with long-term recovery? Haven't you, weren't you inspired? Haven't you, don't you have something to come away with? Some ideas that you're going to be able to feast on for the next year till we get to San Mateo? I mean, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful um, experience. And weren't the, weren't the uh, entertainment sessions fun? The, the play on Friday and the... Uh, and those three gals last night weren't they super? And it just—it's uh, just been uh, a fun, fun experience being here. Um, uh, I've enjoyed um, seeing old friends, having a lot of uh, hugs and grins, and listening to good stories, and making some new friends, and talking to some newcomers who are here and whose eyes are just getting opened and just having the best old time it's it's uh there's nothing like being together with a bunch of compulsive overeaters who are in recovery we are certainly very very lucky to be here and um it's it's been a wonderful weekend and you're all getting tired and all eager to go home so um when i when i think about um before we got here wasn't it like being in a sort of a dark pit with our egos and our obsessions and our addictions and our pride and our shame and and all that stuff? That's the, the way the days were. And since we've come into a program, once the program has taken us out of the pit and begun to, we begin to live, it is like crawling out of the pit and walking out into the sunlight of the Spirit. That's what we've had another giant step along the road of happy destiny this weekend, and now you've got a chance to continue to walk in the sunlight of the Spirit. Do the 